So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus says this. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have their glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. But surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Should I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly. In this passage of scripture, we have these three different actions of the kingdom that are given to us. Doing good or giving or charitable deeds. It's kind of like synonymous. Prayer and fasting. Charitable deeds, prayer, and fasting. And in the context of these three topics, we also have reality and hypocrisy. What is really real in the secret and the quiet place, what's really going on between you and God in relationship, and what's hypocrisy, what is theatrical and a show, men among men, humanity among humanity, which is not reality at all. Sound familiar? And we have these three things that disciples do that are part of the kingdom. Because he says, when you do charitable deeds, when you pray, and when you fast. So not if you do charitable deeds, not if you pray or if you fast. It's when, when, and when. And so charitable deeds are sowing. Praying is relationship and communication with the Father. And fasting is sacrifice. So it's sowing, relationship, and sacrifice. Sowing the kingdom, our time, energy, and resources to bless other people in Jesus' name. It's relationship with our Heavenly Father, not religion, and the context of prayer covers that. And then the fasting is sacrifice, disciplining our flesh, and of course disciple means discipline as well, by the way, to discipline our flesh, our carnal things that we have, 
to create discipline in our life and a greater dependency upon the Lord and the life of the Spirit and less of the flesh. There's natural things of the flesh like breathing, drinking, water, you know, hydration, food, nutrition, health. There are natural things of the flesh, sex drive. There's way we're designed certain things that are natural and proper the way God's designed us, but we're, as been said so often by so many people, we don't live to eat, we eat to live. And that's the difference between living a spiritual life and a carnal life, what's driving us. Now, as we look at this passage, we want to break down these three things, and then we want to talk about the hypocrisy of religion, and then we want to talk about the sincerity of privacy in the secret place. So let's begin tonight by looking at these three things contextually that are of the kingdom, the charitable deeds, the prayers, and the fasting. So we covered a lot on sowing bountifully and charitable deeds when we're going through Deuteronomy, because we had full chapters given to looking out for the stranger and the foreigner and the widow and the orphan, and we, we covered that. And obviously that's the DNA of who we are as a church and a ministry. We've sown so bountifully to widows and orphans and, and different ministries, and so many of the missionaries that we've helped overseas throughout the last 16 years we've been here as a church, and particularly really in the last 10 years more so, that so many of the ministries that we support are involved in, missionaries, we support them in their calling, but they, in many cases, are involved in widow ministries or orphanage ministries and so on and so forth. Recently, someone contacted us through the K-Way broadcast and asked us about the orphanages that we're involved in, and there's a few that we have done stuff for uh, regularly and ongoing and even more recently, but I share with them what we've really done is supported people who do that. We, haven't been, we don't so much support organizations. We support people we believe in who are serving the Lord. And then they support the people. So like Brian McDaniel in Haiti, we support Brian McDaniel in Haiti. We support people. We believe in Brian McDaniel. And he was here recently at a service with his wife and family. And we, Jesus invested in people, not so much organizations. Although an organization can be reflective of a person. So the Harvest Crusade, we believe in Greg Laurie. So if we support Harvest Crusade, we're really believing in Greg Laurie and the integrity of his life and his ministry and that he's lived and all the good things that he's done. That's how we look at it. When we think about sowing and blessing others as a church, we invest in people. People who are invested in people in other parts of the world. So they're reaching people we can't reach. So we do that. But we choose to do it. Charitable giving is also something personal that we do. And we've talked about this. You, you know, the one who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. It's that simple. I was sharing with a young pastor today, a really neat man, local ministry. And we were talking. And I said, I was talking about Pastor Gaylord's advice that he gave me years ago at, at Calvary Vista, 35 almost 35 years ago. He said, don't spend a penny more than you need to when we started the church in Virginia and know where every penny goes. And I told this young minister, that was good counsel, except I've learned that um, frugality can also sometimes eliminate faith. And I've talked about faith and foolishness are next door neighbors, right? Don't you feel that way sometimes, that faith and foolishness, there's no fence. They're, they're next door neighbors. Sometimes you think you're a fool, and sometimes you're just totally going for it with faith. And frugality, frugality and and Going and hiding in a bunker in the hills by yourself are next-door neighbors as well. You can become so frugal that everything owns you instead of the Lord owning it all. And so when it comes to charitable giving, there's a balance of faith and frugality. There's a balance of faith and frugality. We have to provide for what we're called to take care of, our, 
our marriages, if we're married, our rent, if we're single. We don't want to be a burden on society. We have to provide for our, our loved ones if we can. Ideally, we want to have generational wealth, spiritually and practically, to pass on to our children and our children's children. For a righteous man is an inheritance to his children's children. So whether you're just starting the journey and you're in the first quarter of your game of life or in the fourth quarter, like some of us, we're going forward and we're, we're, we're different places, but we need to learn to trust in the Lord. And we want to be generous people and we want to sow bountifully. That's a challenge to teach this next generation. The older generation understands a little bit better. It's a challenge for the next generation to teach them to, to really trust in the Lord. As I share with this ministry, I say, you know, what's the difference between you and me and the churches we pastor is not so much the size, because we're both similar-sized churches. Brian Jameson had the profound statement a week ago when we met. He said, COVID is so conducive to the small church. Effective small church ministry. And I said, you know, yes and amen. So whether it's a, a, a church of millennials that's under 100 or a church of baby boomers and Gen Xers and some millennials under 100, it's conducive to us. We can go this way, we can go that way. We're not leading the 1st Marine Division or the 4th Marine Division at Iwo Jima. We're more like Navy SEALs. And we're fluid, and we can meet in the park on a Sunday. We can do this, and we can go to the dean's house for baptism. It's conducive time. And by the way, of course, in the Bible, all you see in the book of Acts is house churches, small churches. The big churches, they're all facing great challenges, to say the least. And I don't covet any of them. However they got there, they got there. And whatever they do with it, that's between them and the Lord. We can move this way. We can move that way. And we're going to continue to sow bountifully and be charitable as we do as a church and in our personal lives. No matter how great your financial needs might be, we always want to be conscious of helping others. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, when he looked upon the multitude, it says he was moved with compassion and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And we covered this so much in Deuteronomy and the spirit of the law and loving your neighbor is being moved with compassion and empathetic to people's needs. And we're all, we face these things all the time. So you might go to Trader Joe's and here's the remaining immigrant with his sign, three kids, they're out there just came from Romania, start talking with them. Sure enough, they did come from Romania. If you want to help them, you help them. If you don't, you, you know, it's, it's yours. It's your choice. But whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, then there's a blessing in that. And if there's the homeless people and they're in front of Walmart and they're saying, hey, this is for homeless school children, supplies, office school supplies, if you want to help them, help them. If you don't, you don't. If you're a pet and they say, hey, do you want to donate to help an animal today? If you want to help them, click the button. Give $2 or $5. It's your choice. But the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. But when we do that, we don't like, hey, look at me. I just helped out the homeless kids. Or look at me. I take care of all the animals, you know, at the Humane Society. Or look at me. I support disabled American veterans or the, support the blue. I do this for the police department or whatever. Like, just do it. If you do it, you do it. And you do it as unto the Lord. You do it because you care about people. That's what you do. You do your charitable deeds as you feel led on your personal level as unto the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. So if you want to give cheerfully, give it. If you feel obligated, then don't. It's that simple. But again, the more we can move toward that the Lord owns everything in our life, our time, our energy, and our resources in 2021, the better it is for us. 
Because if the government's coming from my resources or people that don't like me are coming from my resources, that can be very unsettling because now I've got to protect my resources. But if the government or people that don't like me are coming uh, for Jesus' resources, well, that's a whole other thing. If that's what God's given to me and they're trying to take what God gave to me, that's between me and the Lord. God's fighting our battles. Like Pastor Chuck used to say, one of his bullet points all the time is, you can fight your battles or you can let the Lord fight your battles. And he does a much better job than you. So invite the Lord to fight your battles. So again, we're charitable, we're generous, that's who we are. We want to be compassionate. It's our disposition. Like when you see needs, we want to have a disposition to have an open heart to bless people. That's how we want to be. We want to be empathetic and and the disposition of compassion. Because that's the heart of Jesus. When you do a charitable deed, you do it. It's that simple. By choice. Not by compulsion. See, God's universe has freedom and self-determination. That's the beauty of the human race. He didn't make us robots. And he's not artificial intelligence. Self-determination is the cross. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's self-determination. Submitting to the Father's will or not submitting to the Father's will. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, that's self-determination. Moses, choose this day whom you'll serve. Right? Or that's Joseph, self, or excuse me, Joshua's self-determination. And then Moses, you get this mountain's for cursings, this mountain's for blessings. Self-determination. So we, de- we decide that. But we want to be generous people in our disposition. Cast your bed upon many waters for you do not return. So our time, our energy, and our resources, and we usually have one of those three available to us. And the more we invest in the kingdom, the better. So Gaylord was right. Know where every penny goes, and I do. I knew where every Chilean peso went. You know how many Chilean pesos are in a dollar? 500. I knew where every Chilean peso went that ever went from this church to ministry in Chile. And I always reconciled to the peso before I returned. I do know where every penny and peso goes. But spending what you only need, you might only be focused on you. So you have to take steps of faith. Because we've learned in ministry, as a ministry and as individuals, you attempt great things from God, you expect great things from God. So you can never go, you have to take steps of faith. We're, we're called to walk by faith. So in our charitable giving, there's times that we just got to get out of our comfort zone and go, you know what? I'm all in. I'm all in. And you can never go wrong with that. How can you ever go wrong being all in, in Jesus' name, to bless other people? How could that ever go wrong on you? It may seem like an economic setback, perhaps, but how could you ever go wrong? Seriously, ask ourselves, how can you ever go wrong in any charitable giving that you're doing as unto the Lord on his behalf with compassion on humanity? Givers give and keep on giving because we're always willing to keep on forgiving. Takers take, and it's never enough, even when the mall's taken all your stuff. It's like the Grinch going back for the crumb. It's never enough. We're not takers, we're givers. And we don't need to sound the trumpet when we do it. Just do it. Now, prayer is that relationship, communication. So we're told no religion. You know, if you summarize what Jesus says about prayer here, it's like he's like, don't be religious. I don't care about religion. No religion. No vain, repetitious prayers to impress people. Just yesterday, and I felt bad. I just, you know, I feel bad for people like this. We're walking on the bike path, and here's a guy at sunset. He throws his rug out, and he starts bowing down toward wherever he's bowing toward, Mecca or whatever. And I thought, you know, that's his deal. I'm just going to keep walking. 
I'm just so glad that's not my relationship with my heavenly father. That I'm not under some robotic relationship that three times a day I have to do something and face a certain direction. If I choose to, like Daniel, that's my business. But if I have to because of religion, that's man's business. That's not the father's business. We have a relationship. Do I tell my children three times a day, call me and leave a vain, repetitious message? Hannah, text me three times a day and say the same thing every day three times a day in a text. What folly. That's religion. Jesus says no religion, thank you, relationship. Again, Father, your Father is nine times in this text. Jesus, speaking to us tonight, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your Father is nine times, and one time in the Lord's Prayer, it's our Father. Your Father, our Father. Total ten. Nine and one. Nine and one. It's relationship. So when we pray, it's not... We're not praying to impress people. And really, how many people in 2021 pray to impress people anyways? Right? In the context of his culture, it's a religious culture. You had the Pharisees in the robes and playing religion and all this stuff. But we still have religious leaders trying to impress people. We still have religious leaders trying to direct things a certain way as they feel like judge and jury of everyone else in their pulpits and in their positions. And they do things to impress people. We'll get to them in a moment. But that's not for us. We're to pray and have a relationship. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to pray vain, repetitious prayers. And I've said this before. The only prayer that I pray as a template of a prayer deliberately is the Lord's Prayer. And I've mentioned this. When I thought I was drowning in 50-foot seas in Hawaii, I, I was sobbing and I was repenting of every rotten thing I ever did growing up. And I was praying the Lord's Prayer. I probably would have said Hail Mary, but I didn't remember the words. And I never prayed the Hail Mary as a Catholic. But I knew the Our Father. And when you're in 50-foot seas and you think it's your day, you, you know, like, it's Our Father. It's Our Father. In the movie Bridge Too Far, you know, they're going across the river there and they're getting bombed. They're, like, they're saying Hail Mary, if you remember the famous movie, Bridge Too Far. Me, I'm in the middle of the ocean going, Our Father, I'm so sorry. And I literally, but you know, that was far really out of relationship. But even after that, many times when I'm just completely overwhelmed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's, that's where I go. And that's okay. Now, he said, pray in this manner. But in Luke, he says, just pray this prayer. So this is the one prayer, not as a vain repetition, but as an expression. When people do wedding renewals, they basically renew their vows. So like, do you, Devin, take you, Patty, to be your lawfully wedded wife? That's how you say it the first time. But in a renewal, you say like, as you did 25 years ago, do you, Devin, take Patty? To, that's how you do it in renewal. But you're still saying the vows. You're renewing the vows. That's not vain repetition. That's reminder of things. That's, that's still personal and relational. Vain repetition is artificial intelligence and disengaged. That's not us. So when we pray, it's personal, it's relational, it's the family. I don't want Timmy texting me the same text three times a day, every day. I want Timmy to call me. Hey, Pop, guess what happened on the ship today? I want him to send me the video of the whale out on the ship, the dolphins, the seal on the buoy. I want to see his world. I want him to send me the picture of the grandkids on the boat with him on, the, on doing the whale watch. 
I want him to send me the picture driving the, the rich Iranian's yacht as he's the, the, the driver for the day for this big Iranian yacht. You know, I want to see that. I'm his father. That's my son. That's the relationship I have with him. I want Hannah to send me pictures with the great-grandkids. I want Hannah to send me pictures of our youth camp in Cocoa Beach and what they're doing and the games they're doing and the kids all dancing and having a good time. That's what I want to see. I don't see like some robotic text of something impersonal day after day. And neither does God. Because he establishes relationships. So every human relationship that we understand is just to carry over his relationship of creating us in his image and for his glory and his purposes. So we just got to remind ourselves not to be religious, but to be relational in our prayers. And God knows. And sometimes it's like, help. Mom, help. Wasn't that? I think that was Leah's. <laughs> the kids were over last week and Leah was, it's chaos when they're all there, the dogs and my dad, you know, my pops are 91 on the chair, it's getting fun, you know, and the dogs run around, it's, it's, it's a whirling dervish of chaos, it's so much fun, but somehow, like, something was cooking, all of a sudden, the paper towel caught on fire, and Leah goes, mom, help, see, that's okay, too, that's a relationship prayer, mom, help, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, we're gonna get it, you know, like, it's a relationship, So don't be robotic. Be relational with the Lord in our prayers. Then the third one is fasting. We don't talk a lot about fasting. It does come up. But as I mentioned earlier, fasting is sacrifice. It's personal sacrifice of things of our flesh. It's the discipline of our flesh. We have lots of biblical examples of fasting. Usually we associate fasting with not eating food. That's the traditional fast that we understand. People occasionally ask me about fasting. The tricky thing about fasting, there's, there's, there's different things. Like some people mentally, physically, or, or their physical conditions might be, you know, they say consult your doctor, all those commercials that say buy this, but then they scare you for the next one minute and say talk to your doctor. Like sometimes fasting's like that because you might have certain things that affect you a certain way. So I'm not one to say that, but for most of us, if we're healthy and pretty good health, it's not going to hurt us to skip a meal, skip a couple meals. And, but the idea is, well, first of all, if you're like me, I get low blood sugar and I get grumpy right? Like, it's like, oh, grumpy. But if I'm fasting, it needs to be for a purpose that in the end, I've sharpened my focus on some things with the Lord, and I've just shown my body, I'm in charge here of being subject to the Lord, not you. I'm in charge, not you. Right? Like, that's the idea that your your body is subject, because we're told to worship the Lord with all of our heart, of our soul, of our mind, and of our strength. Our body is our strength. We're told in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? So we need to really take care of our body. We've eaten healthy for a long, long time. Our, my family's very healthy. My, wife's, my wife is a vegetarian. She's an old school, Swami's, Encinitas, hippie vegetarian that I married that went to San Diego High School. And now all my kids are vegan or whatever. You know, it's like, we eat healthy. And it does us better. And our body is a temple of God. I don't want to be breaking down later on because I don't take care of my body. I want to be effective and fruitful as long as I can be. But I don't want my body to rule over me. I want to rule over it. I want the spirit ruling over me and ruling over my body. So the idea of fasting is just reminding my body like, hey, if someone's like, I'm talking to you. I know you're talking to me. And I'm talking to you. This is the way it is today. Get past yourself and stop it. Right? Like, and there's different, you know, so like 
You can have the one meal fast. You can have like the 18 hour fast, the 24 hour fast. When you obviously fast a couple days, you have these breakthroughs. But you know, the world fast. Cesar Chavez fasted for 40 days for the immigrant workers, right? Like people fast, like people go on a fast when they're in prison to protest something. There's all kinds of people that are don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that would fast to think they're fixing the universe or something and that they're finding some inner thing within them and they're exercising control like a, like a Tibetan monk on top of, you know, Mount Everest or something. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not an eternal thing. When you fast before Jesus, that's an eternal thing. See, a Tibetan monk can fast all he wants, be healthy, and he can run up and down Mount Everest if he wants to. But as we get one, day, one step closer to the kingdom of God, because it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So when we fast before our Heavenly Father, we're, we're fasting to move mountains, not climb them. We are fasting because it's generally associated with prayer to clarify our focus, well, to discipline our flesh, to clarify our focus, and often get confirmation for direction of the future. Fasting is to discipline, to clarify, and to confirm more often than not. When Daniel and his friends fasted in the first chapter of the book of Daniel, they had a meat fast, but not a vegetable fast, and it was to prove a point, that their diet was better than the diet of the Babylonians. And it proved that point. There's different fasts, like the fast of Esther. There's different fasts that have happened. In the book of Acts, you see fasting. So it doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. So I just think it's, all, it's a good idea at various times when you're going through a month or something, say, you know what, I'm just going to block out this time, this way, and just set aside this little window this way. Just that's what I'm going to do. In the book of Acts, Peter was fasting. We got the vision that the gospel's for everybody, the, the unclean foods. When... They were seeking the Lord in Antioch of Syria. God called Paul and Barnabas to begin the Great Commission truly to the nations. There in Acts 13. And the Holy Spirit said, set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. They were praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. So fasting is to exercise discipline over our flesh. It's to get clarity and often confirmation for things to do. And when you're making major decisions like job changes, buying homes, selling homes, moving out of state, moving in-state, different things. The higher the stakes are, the more important it is you have clarity of decisions you're making and you, you press in. Fasting is a way of pressing in closer to the Lord to get greater clarity for what he wants to do in our life. And if you have questions about fasting after service, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about those. But I, one final thing on fasting. As I mentioned, people in the world fast to do whatever they're going to do. I have seen people in the church fast and I've been amazed by how some people can fast for a long period of time. But like, to be honest, in some cases, I didn't see it fix their problems. They were still bitter. So if you skip food for 40 days and you're still bitter against people who did things to you, the fast didn't do what it's supposed to do. It didn't work. It needs to break that bitterness to make you a broken person and you're able to let it go. So again, if you're fasting and it doesn't produce more of Christ and a, and a, and a break of the siege, then it didn't do what it was set out to do. It can become a false sense of self-righteousness that God would be indebted to us. And before I move on, I, 
I have to tell one of my favorite stories because when I was first in the ministry, I was going to show God, I'm your man. I'm your starting quarterback. It was like spring foot. It was like football in August. I'm going to show the coach, I am your starting quarterback. I'm your starting quarterback. Look at me. I do it all here at Calvary Vista, 885 East Vista Way. I'm your first pick. I'm your starting quarterback. I fast and no one knows it. And I'm fasting more than anyone else. And I'm moving the world. I'm reading Chuck books. I'm doing this and that. I'm the best husband. My wife would dispute that. And I fast. I'm this. I'm your guy. And there was a day, it was hilarious. I don't know what happened, but I just snapped. And um, I, there's a 7-Eleven next to Calvary Chapel Vista. When you're driving down Bobier, the church is here, the marquee, and then there's a 7-Eleven there. I was like, I can't take it. I can't take it. And I ran to 7-Eleven, and I got a big gulp and like two hot dogs with mustard, onions, everything, and I ate them all. And I was like, I just, I snapped. That's religion. That's artificial intelligence. And I, I was like, oh, God, I failed you so much. I went back to my office like, like Sid in the first Toy Story, like, oh, man, like, I failed. I failed you. God, I'm the worst. I was going to be your starting quarterback. And I threw all these interceptions at practice. It's, it's not like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. In my mind, God's going to have to answer these prayers because I'm fasting. No, he doesn't. He doesn't answer any prayers. He's God. We're not. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So fast with that spirit and that heart if you fast. Those are three important things that we must teach clearly in this passage, which we just did. So now let's wrap up the evening in this text with the contrast of the reality and the hypocrisy. Because the hypocrisy comes first. Jesus said in the very first verse, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. So he addresses hypocrisy first. It's a negative before a positive. And so often we see this in the Bible where God says the negative, do not do this, and then gives us the positive. Like Habakkuk chapter 2. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, the Babylonians, but the just shall live by faith. Or in the epistles, put off the old man, put on the new man, right? So you get the negatives so often with the Lord before you get the positives. So we have the negatives. So he says, before men to be seen by them. This is the hypocrisy of religion. And then he said, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites, that they may have glory from men. Now, see, that's what the world does, right? Doesn't the world do things before men to be seen by men? To sound the trumpet before men as hypocrites, that they may get glory from men. I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of people right now. I just want to make sure it's not you and me. That's what the world does. The glory of men And because if you seek the glory of men, then the fear of men is a snare. But if you fear the Lord and seek the glory of the Lord, there's no fear of man. What is is man and what can he do to me? We need to ask ourselves questions like this for such a time as this. Then he says concerning prayer, you shall not be like the hypocrites that they may be seen by men. So hypocrite, seen by men, glory from men. And then with the fasting, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. Oh, so sad. They disfigure their faces. They appear to men to be fasting. It's all about them. Look at me. Look at me. Like me. Follow me. Like it's all about them. That's what it is. 
Look what we're doing. Oh, look what we're doing for you. We care about you. You can trust us to care about you. All three cases, hypocrite, 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 which comes from the Greek plays and theatrical where you put the mask on and pretend to be one thing, but you're really something else. That's the term hypocrite. It's like hypocritos. It's the original word in the Greek. It's hypocrite. It's a word we all understand in English. We understand the concept of a hypocrite. It's theatrical. It's what it is. It's theatrical. Hypocrite implies theater. It's theatrical religion. It's religion before men to impress men to get glory from men. Now, the context is people in Jesus' name. But there's lots of people out there right now that are theatrical, wearing a mask, in the church, and they're theatrical, and they're doing things to be seen by men. They're doing things to get glory from men. That's what they're doing. And Jesus tells us, his disciples, not to be that way, to not be hypocrites, putting on a show. I mean, this is like drama class. You know, Hannah did drama for years. Timmy did some drama as well, but Hannah did drama. Like the high school plays, she had an agent, she had all the acting classes, she did all kinds of stuff with pretty famous childhood actors from back in the day from Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and stuff. She never booked anything, but she did stuff with them, and, and it's all improv. Like, you have to learn how to improv, right? So you got to improv things and do all this stuff, and I would be there, and I'd watch this stuff and, and watch what would go on at times, and it's not self-theatrical. It's not real. It's not real. You have to get in character. It's a performance. It's not real. Now, they're going to do that in the world, but we are never to do that in the church. So we just can't be hypocrites. We've got to deal with the negative. This is the negative. We cannot be hypocrites. We can't pretend to be one thing to impress men and get glory from men and not really be that. It's just better to be transparent and just be like, I'm an idiot in Jesus' name. That is much better. And, you know, people walk away from the church thinking, like, I have to prove I'm something great. You don't have to prove anything. Jesus proved everything on the cross with an empty tomb. Or as my sister Barbie, of her rehab quotes from rehab, progress, not perfection, one day at a time, right? But the progress, not perfection, quote she said when I was in Florida last month, really resonated with me. Because that's what we're doing. We're just trying to go forward. So let's get to what really matters. The secret and the quiet place. The secret and the quiet place. That's what matters. WG, body of Christ, globally. The secret and the quiet place. We see, starting again with all three of these things, the doing good, the praying, and the fasting, it says what we do in secret. Now, here in is it verse 3. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Oh, it's just the secret and the quiet place. And your father who sees in secret. You know what we say when something evil is going on? And you know, well, I always say, let God be true to every man a liar, and God is light and him is no darkness at all. Well, the other one is this. Ready? We all know this one. God knows. God knows. God knows what you're doing. He knows what they're doing. He knows what I'm doing. 
God knows their hearts and their motives. He knows my hearts and my motives. And so we say, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and try me. But God knows. God knows, and Jesus said, there's nothing that's hidden in secret that will not be revealed. Every thought and intent of the heart will be revealed in the day of the Lord. God knows. Read Matthew 25. Matthew 24. God knows. Matthew 25. Keep your wicks trimmed and burning. Every steward will give an account. And when he comes with his angels in his glory, he will separate the nations. God knows. It's the secret place. It's the quiet place. Again, in the model prayer, go into your room. But when you pray, in contrast to the hypocrites, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who is in secret will reward you openly. It's the, close the door. It's a secret place that guarded part of who you really are, your inner woman, your inner man, the soul and the spirit of who you are, ladies, and the soul and the spirit of who you are, gentlemen. And then it says in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you do not appear to be men to be fasting. So this, isn't, this is the opposite of hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is claiming to be something you're not. In this case, you're just... You're so right and real and sincere with the Lord in the private place between you and the Lord and your conscience and the convictions of your soul and your heart and mind and being, total being. You don't have to put anything on for anybody. You're just like, you're just acting like things are normal. Like no one would ever know that what's really going on. That's meekness. That's power under control. That's what that is. You're not trying to impress people with falsehood. You're just putting up a front that's a sincere front to not draw attention to yourself while you're being used by the Lord to move mountains. So you don't contort your face, theatrics, and hypocrisy in a reality show, but you anoint your head and wash your feet, and men have no idea what's really going on. But your father, who's in the secret place, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Also, Colossians says that whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord knowing that you will receive your reward not from men, but from the Lord. But it's not really about the reward tonight. It's about the secret place and what we really are. See, before men and women lay down their lives in obedience to Christ, they come to convictions in their heart about where they really stand and where their faith is and what mountains and hills they're willing to die on. That takes place in the secret and the quiet place when you still life and you slow things down and you realize, no, we're going to always sing to the Lord in this church. And if we live, we live. If we die, we die. When you make, when you come to, like when Martin Luther King put the 95 Thesis on the door at Wittenberg in Germany, that morning when that priest went out there and did that, he changed human history, a new world order, for good. And he did so taking on the most powerful entity on planet Earth, the Pope and the Catholic Church in medieval Europe. And he didn't randomly go out there and put that 95 Thesis on the door. He did it deliberately and absolutely because he'd already come to those convictions that sola faith, sola scripture. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves us, not rituals. And only scripture is the final authority to guide and govern our lives. And we live by those two truths here tonight. Only faith in Jesus will save us. And only the word of God is our final authority on all things. Not the Pope, not any religion or human government. Only scripture and only faith. You see, we need to know those convictions. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer determined he's going to be part of the Valkyrie attempt to take out Hitler, arguably the most powerful evil man in human history, but Stalin might actually beat him, but that's not the point. He was a pacifist. When all the Lutherans capitulated 
the truth of the gospel and the word of God as a final authority. They all did for Hitler. They sold out. They were the capitulating, compromising, collaborating church with evil. Bonhoeffer did not, and he was a pacifist. He was a pacifist who made it safely to New York and then went back to Germany because he thought, I cannot be part of the rebuilding from this great disaster if I don't go through it with the people. And there in Germany, he was part of the Valkyrie attempt because he considered, they considered his group in their timeline. We didn't live that time. My dad did, but he was a kid. But he determined it was the lesser of two great evils. It was the lesser of two great evils. So here's a pacifist, one of the most brilliant minds that's ever lived in the history of church of Jesus Christ, who's a pacifist. He had to come to a place in his heart, in the secret quiet place, where he was willing to risk his life, his freedoms, to the benefit of Germany and humanity, that this madman must be stopped. And when they hanged him about a month before the Soviets and the Americans came on Berlin to end World War II, when they marched him outside after he taught a Bible study from the book of Isaiah, he had already come to that place in the secret, in the quiet place, where it was all good between him and the Lord. And ultimately, that's where all of us must come to in our relationship with the Lord. We need to come, we need to come from, we need to go to, to abide in and come from the secret and the quiet place with the Lord for how we give, for how we pray, and how we fast. And we need to come from the relationship with our Father, my Father, your Father in heaven, so we're not moved like Paul in Acts 20. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, that I can finish the race that he set before me. That's where we have to be. This, all of this outside these doors is a test. This isn't just America. This is planet Earth. I mean, if you haven't figured it out, this is all humanity. The whole planet's weighed in the balances right now. The whole planet's weighed in the balances right now. All across the world. It is a new world order. We're in it. Like post-World War I. It's a new world order. So each of us needs to know our Heavenly Father in a very personal way. And each of us needs to know what he's calling us to do in the convictions of our heart and mind and our relationship with him. Because the higher law with God is the law of the conscience based upon the word of God for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Thus one man seems one day, another another, let each be convinced in their own mind. That is the higher law. That we're governed by his word, we're governed by his spirit, and we're not piggybacking on someone else's faith. We know, like Paul said, who he believed in and we're persuaded he's able to keep that which you've committed to him until that day. And thus we can be like Paul in Romans chapter 8 saying, who can separate us from the love of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Famine, peril, sword? No, but like sheep led to the slaughter, so we are all day long. But nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So WG, in Jesus' name, strengthen the secret and the quiet place. Take it to another level in the secret and the quiet place, and at all costs, avoid the plague of hypocrisy filling this planet with wires leading the way.